93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM and Uproxx.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. My topic today, we are going to be talking about one of the great rock records of the last 10 years, a record that turns 10 this week. It is Boxer by The National, a record that means a lot to me, and it means a lot to my guest, Chris DeVille of Stereo Gum. We had a nice conversation about this record, about The National's career, about whether Boxer is the best national record, or if it's Alligator or High Violet or Trouble Will Find Me. Or if you're a real contrarian, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. Actually, I love Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, but, well, we'll see. I mean, I don't want to give away what I think is the best national record. Uh, We will get into that in the conversation. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, and it is our old friends. They're our old friends now, I think. They've been on the podcast here a couple times. So I'm going to call my old friends, ZipRecruiter.com. Now... Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? You know, it's always a challenge to find good people, people who are not going to screw up. But how do you find those people? Well, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-find dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. You just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. One more time to try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. So we're talking about Boxer this week by The National. It's the 10th anniversary. And this is a pivotal record. Uh, I think not just in the modern history of indie rock, but, you know, in the context of The National's career. Um... I wrote about this record last week on uprocks.com. Um, and I used to think that Alligator, you know, the 2005 national record, I used to think that that was sort of like the beginning of the national. Because like when you look at the at the arc of this band's career, you know, they put out their first record in 2001. It's a self-titled record. It's the one with Brian Devendorf, the drummer on the cover, <laughs> in a swimming pool. In 2003, you have Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. Neither one of those records really make much of an impression. You know, I actually remember, like, Matt Berninger told me, uh, he read a review of their first record, and the reviewer said, you'd be better off waiting for the next Silver Jews record. <laughs> so that's what critics thought of them at the time, that they were just sort of like a knockoff of bands like the Silver Jews. They got compared to Wilco a lot at that time. You know, they were, they were sort of looked at as sort of like an also-ran type band. And then they make Alligator. And Alligator becomes this sort of underdog record. It's a record that, you know, doesn't get a lot of hype when it comes out. But it becomes one of those albums that people, they really like to champion. You know, it's it's sort of like, you know, every critic has that one band that no one has heard of. 
and they tell everyone about. Well, in 2005, when Alligator came out, The National was that band for a lot of a lot of different critics, and uh, it ends up being this sort of mid-sized critical hit, and more importantly, it, it starts to get this word of mouth about it, you know, and The National becomes that kind of band, Th- this band that you hear about that doesn't get as much hype maybe as other big bands, but they end up kind of forging this strong connection with people over the course of a couple of years. So that sets the stage for, for Boxer, which comes out in 2007. And, you know, the making of this record was pretty tumultuous. You know, the band basically, you know, they started working on it in 2006 in the summer and they didn't have any songs. You know, they'd been touring behind Alligator for about two years and they were exhausted. But they also knew that they had to somehow summon the energy to make a great follow-up record. Uh, you know, they, they were feeling the anxiety, I think, that a lot of bands have. You know, like, you, you finally have made an impression. People are finally starting to care about you. And uh, if you don't deliver, you know, once they're paying attention, it's easy for them to forget you and to fall by the wayside. You know, there's this famous story about the national touring with Clap Your Hands Say Yeah in 2005. Now, you may not even remember who Clap Your Hands Say Yeah is if you're, if you're of a certain age. But, you know, in, in 2005, the same year that Alligator came out, Clap Your Hands Say Yeah was like the big, hyped indie rock band of that year. And the National uh, was sort of this uh, upstart band or kind of an underdog band that was touring with them. And Clap Your Hands Say Yeah, that when it came time for their next record to come out, called, it was called Some Loud Thunder, and it sort of came and went and People didn't really like it. <laughs> and like that, Clap Your Hands Say Yeah became sort of an ulcer-ran band, you know, a band that people didn't care about, whereas The National, they were able to come up with Boxer, and it was a second great record in a row, and uh, it really established their career. Uh, so, I mean, that's the record that, that's the kind of record that The National was trying to make when they were in the studio, uh, you know, starting in the summer of 2006, and they were working hard you know, they initially planned to work for about two months on this record. And uh, they weren't coming up with anything. <laughs> it was a really hard process. They were hitting their heads against the wall. And they ended up taking this break and reconvening in, in, in the winter, sort of early 2007, and working in the attic of uh, the Desner's house, Aaron and Bryce Desner. Uh, their their house in Brooklyn, and they end up re-recording a lot of the record at that time. And then they end up going back in the studio and sort of finishing it off. But, you know, there, there's all these stories about songs that are now sort of iconic in the Nationals' discography, you know, sort of coming together at the last moment. Like, for instance, Fake Empire was a song that they sort of, they had half of a song for a while. They couldn't figure out how to finish it. And then they realized that they needed some sort of fanfare at the end of the song. Like, they needed some sort of grand conclusion uh, to to finish that song off. And uh, they ended up working with this arranger that they've worked with with often in their career. His name Padma Newsom, who wrote this ending for them, for that song, and they ended up recording it and somehow tying that song together and making it work. Squalor Victoria, another big song from Boxer, uh, wasn't finished until the day before the record was mixed. Like, Matt Berninger was still writing lyrics for that song. 
and he laid down vocals at the last minute. Um, you know, this was a record that the National, at many points while they were making it, they weren't sure if the record was going to be any good. And not only that, they weren't sure if they were still going to be able to be a band. <laughs> um, and yet they were able to pull it together and they produced this record that um, has become a touchstone, not just in their career, but I think in the, in the career of modern rock. Like, you know, if there's a 13 or 14 year old kid who's just starting to get into indie rock, this is one of the records that people will talk about that, well, if you want to know what indie rock is, like Boxer by the Nationals, like one of those records that you need to start with. It's sort of the, one of the foundational records of how people understand what this music is right now. Um, so that's worth exploring and, and figuring out like, well, how did the National get to this point? Why does it matter? Uh, does the record hold up? Uh, what is this? What is the significance of this record uh, in the grand scheme of the Nationals career? So that was something I was very curious to get into with, with Chris DeVille. And like I said, I think we had a nice conversation. So here is me and Chris talking about Boxer. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on the podcast uh, to talk Boxer with me. Uh, I know you're a National fan, as am I. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, um, you know, let's begin with this. I mean, we're talking about the 10th anniversary of Boxer, and normally when you talk about anniversaries for records, you're making an argument that this album has historic significance, that it, it's not only a great record, but it's an important record. For Boxer, mm -hmm. what do you think that case is? Like, why is this a record that uh, is important? Well, I mean, it's important, certainly, within the context of the National themselves. Uh, you know, it's, I think, if you look at, I was looking at their, even just their sales figures, like, you know, Boxer debuted with, like, 10,000, less than 10,000 in sales its first week, and whereas the next two records were, like, 50,000 and then 75,000, and, you know, we're debuting at number three on the billboard chart. Um, so obviously like it was pretty huge in terms of kind of putting the national on the map. Um, and when we're talking about the national being one of the kind of the preeminent indie rock bands of their generation, I mean, that, that in itself to me is like pretty important. Um, also within the context of the band, uh, I feel like it kind of, set the template that they would continue to work from up until now. I mean, we can't really say whether the upcoming new album that they're going to release is going to continue to work from that template, but like, uh, you know, High Violet and uh, Trouble Will Find Me, the albums they released after Boxer, um, seems to kind of build on the formula that Boxer established in a way that they're, they're – where their, their work prior to Boxer had been kind of still sorting out who they were as a band, kind of experimenting more. So, I mean, I guess a lot of the importance that I see it is it's probably the, the pivotal album in the Nationals' career, and they've been such a transformative band in terms of the sound of what indie rock is and... Um, just the way that we understand indie rock in this day and age. Right. Yeah. I, everything you just said, I agree with. <laughs> I think that's spot on. I, you know, it, 
not just in terms of indie rock, but just rock music in general, I would put the National on a short list oh, of, sure. of, of the best American rock bands of the last 10 years. And uh, like you said, Boxer is the beginning of sort of the modern National, uh, which is funny. I don't know how you feel about this. You know, what, I wrote a story uh, last week about trying to decide, like, if, is Boxer the best National record? And I was sort of comparing it to other records in their discography. And for me, it, that, that's a fun exercise to do with the National because I don't know that there's a consensus choice for their best mm-hmm. record. You know, Boxer would probably narrowly edge out the other sort of big four records in their catalog, you know, Alligator, Boxer, High Violet, Trouble Will Find Me. Boxer mm-hmm. might get a couple more votes, but I know there's a lot of people that love High Violet, for instance. I, that in a lot of people love Alligator, and Trouble oh, yeah. Find Me is a record that I, I feel like has taken on more stature even since it came out four years ago. Um, but, you know, like for a long time, you know, Alligator was my favorite national record, and you know, I still love it, but like, I used to think that that was the beginning of sort of like the modern modern national, you know, but that really now feels like maybe the culmination of their early period, you know, like their self-titled record, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, and then Alligator comes out. It's sort of like the best version of those first two records. And, you know, at that time, you know, and, and this has been remarked on many times. I mean, when people talk about Alligator now, they talk about that being the record where Mark, where Matt Berninger still screamed, you know, like and they mm-hmm. and they played loud rock songs. And then with Boxer, it enters the national into this new, almost sort of like period where they're doing like like hymns, almost like there's like a real hymn like quality to what they're doing. It's like yeah. chamber music, almost. Um, so yeah, as you said. In that regard, it, it feels like, okay, this is sort of the national becoming becoming the band that we all kind of recognize them as. In the same way that you could say, like, the Joshua Tree is for you 2 or something. Or uh, maybe, like, Document or Green was for R.E.M. Um, I mean, does any of that stuff make sense to you, like, just in terms of, like, the greater kind of arc of the national's career? Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, I think you're, what you're saying about Alligator really holds up. Uh because, I mean, you do hear, I feel like Alligator does perfect the kind of thing they were toying around with before, um, like on Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, for example, and, uh, you know, the, the assorted early records. Um, and you really do have that cut off. I mean, you even, I went back and was reading Pitchfork's Boxer Review in preparation for this, and they noticed right away, like, he's not really screaming anymore. Um you don't have songs like Mr. November anymore that are just kind of like off the rails, intense. Um, so, and that was a deliberate choice too. Like I, I, you know, like Matt Berninger talked about that in 2007 when, when Boxer came out that like, he was very deliberate about like, well, we don't want to do those kind of songs like anymore. That was sort of, you know, like, and, and there was a fear in the band about not doing that because Mr. November was one of the most popular songs off of Alligator and they knew that they were making in a way a more subdued kind of introverted record with, with Boxer. Uh, so it, it's interesting to look back on that because even at the time that was a somewhat sort of, uh, that was a big shift. It, it, you know, it was maybe even somewhat controversial maybe among people that loved Alligator. 
Yeah, although not really for me because I, you know, boxer was my entry point, uh, and I kind of worked my way back to alligator. Um, so for me, it was like, whoa! I didn't realize the national used to rock. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yeah, and I think that's true for a lot of people. And in a way, I think that was also true for High Violet. You know which I didn't realize until I saw the national actually on their 2013 tour, because like when they would play, cause like when I would see the national around the time of boxer, obviously those alligator songs were, were huge cause they were still relatively mm-hmm. new, but then, you know, seeing the national like in 2013, 2014, when they would play, you know, stray alligator songs, I mean, they were still popular, but they didn't go over as big as the high violet songs. And you just realize, okay, there's been a shift maybe a little bit in this band's following over the years, you know, which is an interesting thing because some bands, their earliest records remain sort of the most popular records that they ever make. Whereas with the national, you can really see a shift over the course of their career. Uh, you know, this sort of evolution that's not only happened in the band, but also in their following. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, that, that speaks to a real, uh, you know, kind of, creative persistence on their part i think um uh almost like you know, i just went and saw radiohead a few weeks ago and it's like obviously people still freak out when they play songs from the bends but it's not even a big deal if they you know don't play song x y or z from their 90s albums um and definitely i think the national are in that place now yeah and you know i, I was thinking about this you know on, on the drive here you know, the, the National, to me, one of the things that makes them unique, uh, you know, now, anyway, in you know, the music culture of now, is that they're an old-fashioned band in a lot of ways, in, in the way that they evolved, in the way that their career developed. Because, you know, like when we talk about U2 or R.E.M. or Radiohead or any of these sort of, like, legacy establishment, alternative rock, mm-hmm. indie rock type bands... They all had a similar trajectory where a lot of them, you know, they put out a first record that, you know, maybe was really critically acclaimed, but it wasn't all that commercially successful. And then over the course of maybe a couple albums, they built a career. And then maybe their third or fourth record was the big record. And then by the fifth or sixth record, they were really big. You know, there's a real climb with bands like this. And that used to be sort of the traditional trajectory that you would want or expect a band to follow. And now it seems increasingly rare that a band would even get that opportunity to have that. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I, mean, I mean, is the National, like, in a way, like the last iteration of that kind of band? Well, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of their peers from, who were kind of getting big around the time that they were getting big are, returning this year also. Um, so in a sense, you could say maybe they're the last generation of bands that were able to follow that, that trajectory. Um, but, uh, I think it's just too early to say what's going to happen to some of the new, newer kinds of artists. Uh, I mean, I, I like to think somebody like the war on drugs is going through that kind of experience now, which has been, very much after the national, um, even vampire weekend. Like, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they come back with and how people receive them. Right. Um, well, and they but all, I think that those kinds of bands are getting 
you know, fewer and farther between, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Vampire Weekend is an interesting example. I mean, they're almost going to be a different band, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, that's a pretty significant departure that they're dealing with. Uh, I mean, it, it, it kind of, I guess, comparing them to the National, the National is also an example of a band where it's the same people from the beginning, which is another yeah. unique thing, even for big bands. Um, I mean, the War on Drugs, you know, I love the War on Drugs, but they're they're sort of not really a band. I mean, it's one guy mm-hmm. who's had a rotating, and it's like Adam and then Dave Hartley, the bass player, and then there's like a rotating cast of people. You know, the National has always been this five-headed beast. You know, the same five people. They all have pretty strong personalities. You know, it, it's what's kind of made it harder for them to make records maybe over the years. Like, you know, this is, I mean, this next record that's coming out, Sleep Well Beast, it's been four years uh, since Trouble Will Find Me, and it was a three-year gap between High mm-hmm. Violet and, uh, and and Trouble Will Find Me. So, like, the, the gaps keep getting longer. It kind of speaks to how difficult it is to make a record with a band like this, and yet uh, that's also, like, where a lot of the magic comes from as well. Yeah, definitely. I definitely see where you're coming from on that, where it's like, I mean, the war on drugs is very much a kind of like a solo project or like a, you know, a small core with a rotating cast and uh, a lot of the bigger rock acts now. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about like your recent guest, Father John Misty. That's like a very singular kind of vision and not the, not that he doesn't have any collaborators, but it's definitely Josh Tillman's thing in the way that the war on drugs is like Adam Grandusil's thing. Um, and so that kind of teamwork element that you're, you're getting at with the national, it does seem to be disappearing somewhat. Yeah. And, you know, circling back to boxer with that, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the making of the record, but, you know, I was reading about it a lot, getting ready for this conversation. And, and, you know, I also wrote about it of course last week, but, um, you know, like when we talk about national records, uh, especially like the modern national records, you know, High Violet, uh, Trouble Will Find Me, um, you know, there's there's always this narrative that they take forever and that there's like a lot of, uh, you know, recording and re-recording and all that. Like, you know, like High Violet was pretty notorious for that. Like, I don't know if you remember this. Like, there was that New York Times story from 2010 where they talked about how they went through like 80 different versions of Lemon World, <laughs> which... You know, if you know the song Lemon World, it seems like a fairly straightforward song. It doesn't seem like something, it's not like some grand production or anything. Right, it's not like Terrible Love or something. Right, which, which, yeah, that a song that they managed to totally screw up too on the record, I think. I mean, they made that extended version where they put, I, I just remember them playing that song on uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and I thought it was like the most incredible, like, national song yet. And then it gets on the record and it's this sort of like broken down demo sounding version instead of this like arena rock, like, you know, thing that builds and then has this great crescendo. Um, I, I remember being like so bummed when I heard the record and heard that version. Uh, I don't know. I, th- this might be a segue to talk about, like, you know, cause I wrote the story last week talking about, whether Boxer is the best national record, and I was comparing mm-hmm. it to other national records. I mean, is it the best record for you? Like, is it your favorite national record? I've been thinking about that. Um, probably, 
I, I, High Violet has really, you know, burrowed into my heart over the years. Um, but Boxer is definitely the one that like made me fall in love with the National. I remember going to see them in a small venue in Columbus right after it came out, and they were still playing a lot of those explosive songs like you were talking about. So hearing them play like Mistaken for Strangers and uh, Mr. November and some of those louder songs on that tour, uh, obviously Mr. November isn't on Boxer, but like just that, that time in their career was really powerful for me. Um, and when I revisited the album today, I was pretty struck by how you know, solid it is from front to back. Um, but I think you're right to, to even raise the question because they're such a consistently strong band. Um, I would say that it's the most important album by the national, uh, and it might be the best depending on which day you ask me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, for a long time, I said alligator was their, their best. And I think that was me sort of loving that version of the national, that sort of like club band that had more of a garagey element to them, but was also capable of writing beautiful ballads, you know, like there's, or, or songs like all the wine, which are kind of in between like this great kind of chiming mm-hmm. rock song that, is also sort of looking ahead to some of the more sort of sophisticated songs that they were going to be doing on subsequent records. So that always seemed like a great sort of a little bit of everything that you would want from the band, like kind of record. Um, and High Violet is a record I is a record I love. The, the comparison I always make with High Violet is that I always compare it to the Unforgettable Fire, the U two record, in that I feel like the songs on the Unforgettable Fire. Like the way that they sound on that record, it, that always strikes me as like a, kind of an unfocused record. Like it seems like a little overcooked in the production. And like when you hear those songs live, uh, they sound a lot better. Like like bad off of the Unforgettable Fire. I think live that song is incredible. On the record, it's still good, but like it's not quite what it should be. It's like more muted than it should be. And High Violet, I feel like they just mucked it up in the production. I, I just think that they thought about it way, way too much. And, you know, we talk about Boxer being the beginning of the modern national. I mean, that was sort of the beginning of them starting to really, uh, you know, do this sort of more deliberative record-making process. Like, I don't know how much you know about the making of the record, but, like, they, they basically worked on it for a couple months you know, they were going to make it in about two months in the summer of 2006, and they ended up spending most of their recording budget and didn't have any songs, or like it, the like the record wasn't going anywhere. And then they had, they ended up re-recording a bunch of stuff in the Desner's attic in early 2007, and then they went back to the studio and like kind of pulled it together at the last minute. Like I guess, like Squalor Victoria, the lyrics to that song were written like the day before the record was mixed. You know, stuff like that. And I know that that happened with High Violet a lot, that there were songs that really weren't done until like the last minute just because they couldn't decide uh, what to do with it. You know, they had too many options. And I feel like with Boxer, they were able to pull it out because I think that Boxer to me, especially compared to High Violet, uh, it's lush without 
being crowded. Like there's a, it's, it feels kind of spare, but like not empty. It's like a, it's a it's a good combination, I think, of sort of atmosphere and songs. And they weren't yet kind of piling on instruments yet, <laughs> like, which I think they started yeah, to do on high violin. I agree with that. Uh, I think the and the, it, it takes a bunch of different shapes too. Like even though you know you can kind of stereotype that like there's a certain sound that a national song has. Like there, there's still a lot of variety to what's going on there. With the you know you start off with kind of a humongous piano anthem. Uh, and it gets the you know fake empire has those those horns that come in eventually and it's there's a lot going on but it doesn't sound like it's being overdone it sounds exactly right um then you get your rock song kind of like straight ahead uh punch you in the face kind of rock song with mistaken for strangers uh and brainy comes in and uh it's kind of another flavor the, the interesting rhythmic stuff that's going on on that song um and then you, know, you kind of go from there into you know, a whole wide array of different things, and the arrangements have a lot to do with that. And you know, you kind of see the the beginning of of the Desners as this this instrumental arrangement force that you know they've become kind of not just for this band, for but for an entire scene. Right. Um, and you're right that they were kind of establishing that identity but not overdoing it yet yeah and and by the way i just want to because i know that there will be listeners who are like already on twitter complaining that i'm ripping high violet i just want to say i do i do love that record <laughs> but if we're going to compare national records to me that's where it, it falls short because i just think i wish it was a little less produced and i also wish that they hadn't ruined terrible love like terrible love live still awesome song because they play it the right way they don't play it the way it is on the record which again i don't know why they did it that way but and and, and all those songs on high violet i love hearing them live i think those are you know the songs like you know england and I, fabulous I, I song i do think that's that's what sold me on high violet i have it i originally didn't connect with it the same way i connected with boxer and then i saw them open for arcade fire uh, at an arena in Indianapolis. And, you know, obviously they were still on tour for High Violet. They were playing a lot of their songs, uh, and they just sounded humongous. Um, and then I had to go back to the record and be like, oh, actually, this is an amazing album. Right. But well, I, I did kind of have to get past the production at first. Yeah, I saw that same tour. I don't, even, I don't know if they did a whole tour or if they just did a couple dates. I, I saw them play together in Chicago. Uh, it must have been like 2011 or something. It was like Arcade Fire was Suburbs and mm -hmm. National was High Violet. And um, it's interesting to to compare those two bands. Like I, I remember like when I when I profiled the National in 2013, like Aaron Desner was talking about how you know the Arcade Fire are sprinters and we're long distance runners. <laughs> you know, because like the Arcade Fire. You know, just saying that because like Arcade Fire kind of exploded with Funeral and that they have this oh, sort sure. of larger than life thing, whereas the National have always been a band where they're not really reinventing the wheel with with their records. But like when you look back on them, just the way that we're doing now, they do have distinct personalities, I think. Maybe if you're not a fan of the band, you can't tell that. But like 
if you're a fan and you're paying attention, the sort of incremental ways that the national shift and they grow kind of pay off in the long run. Uh, whereas Arcade Fire has always been this band that's made dramatic shifts in tone and, and sound. And, and it's interesting to compare where they're at now, where I feel like Arcade Fire, I, you know, they're still a big band. I, but, you know, to me, they don't have the same momentum that they did, certainly when those two bands were touring together seven years ago or so. Yeah, it seems like Arcade Fire are kind of haunted by trying to one-up themselves all the time. When you start with an album that goes over as as well as Funeral went over, um, and you know, well, in the suburbs too, so, yeah. on Neon Bible. Well, in the suburbs was like arguably their biggest record. Well, it is their biggest record, really, in terms of the world, because mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they won that Grammy, won, yeah, one album, one of, album the of the year, and. I'm pretty sure it's their best-selling record. I, I I would be, I would take that to the bank. I think that that's probably their best-selling record at this point. Like I, I don't know if Funeral's gone gold. Maybe it has, but at any rate, yeah. Then they you know go on you know Dance Party USA on Reflector and start talking <laughs> about the internet and stuff. And it's like okay, yeah, okay. I don't know about and, you know. And then you know, uh, Regine is in like the mirror box on Saturday Night Live, and it's like, okay, this is like a little too Spinal Tap at this point. And, <laughs> and then you have The National, who, you know, you know, again, like when I profiled them in 2013, like Trouble Will Find Me will come out, and like the big narrative on that record was The National sort of saying like, well, we are who we are, and we're never going to be the cool sort of cutting-edge band, but we do what we do really well, so we're going to make a National record. And that is probably my second favorite National record now. Trouble will find me. I really love that record a lot. I think the songs off that off that record have uh, aged really well, um, and I think in comparison to like High Violet and even Boxer, it like it it, it feels like not as labored over. Uh, it's like the most relaxed that they've probably sounded, you know, maybe since their first record when no one was paying attention. Yeah, I really need to revisit that one. Um, it's been a little while, um, but that is, you know, the, the last time I listened to it, I, I remember being struck by, like, why why did I have the impression that this was just another national album when I first heard it? Um, and I guess, you know, I guess since I just told you that High Violet didn't initially click for me either, we're, we're kind of establishing the pattern that you need to sit with these records for a little bit, um, and they kind of win you over. Um but I definitely see where you're coming from in terms of like they they haven't been a band that lunges to try to reinvent themselves. They, they've made these subtle shifts that you notice if you know, are paying close attention to the band um, in a way that's, I guess, pretty similar to Spoon, kind of the other band that probably most often gets lobbed with the every album sounds the same complaint. Well, yeah, and you know, and this is a critical conceit that I think is very overrated. This idea that you have to remake yourself with every record. Uh, I mean, that's, that's something that music critics always subscribe to because music critics need narratives in order to write reviews. And it's harder to write a review of a record that is just really good, but doesn't have some dramatic sort of thing attached to it than it is to write about like, you know, Oh, the band's wearing makeup now or the band's wearing colorful costumes. So, or they, or they have lots of bleep bloops in their music. So that's, they're totally different now. Um, 
I mean, I think there's something to be said for writing another album of great songs. Like, it's hard to write great songs. I, I don't care how long you've been a band or if you have an established sound. Like, putting together 12 tunes that are going to matter to people and connect with them is a difficult thing. So, like, if you're able to do that, you know, that should be celebrated, even if it seems to be in sort of the same milieu of what you've already done, you know? Well, and if you can get to a level of popularity uh, where you kind of aren't dependent on the press to get the word out, it almost seems like those those more consistent type bands are the ones that have more of a long-term success. Wilco being another example. Right. I mean, obviously, Wilco have reinvented themselves plenty of times, but at this stage of their career, I feel like they're, uh, you know, they're, you, you kind of walk into a certain Wilco sound uh, or Wilco feel. And, yeah. Well, yeah, because they've been uh, around for like 25 years and you've made 10 records. You, you can only do like the experimental record so many times. It's like now if Wilco does weird noises on their records it's like oh well they've already done you know it's like unless they're gonna start you know unless they're gonna you know do a hip-hop record or something i mean you know it's not gonna it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to reinvent that wheel you know just sort of continuously uh moving forward all right we're gonna get back to our conversation about boxer but before we continue i just want to tell you about our other sponsor for this week's episode and that is harry's and harry's you know it's I've talked about them a lot on this podcast. They are a great way to get inexpensive, high-quality razors, especially if you're like me, a hairsuit man, a man who must shave often, unless I want to look like the wolf man. And you don't want to look like the wolf man, especially if you're married like me. My wife has to put up with enough. She doesn't need a wolf man in the house. So I, I, I use Harry's, and uh, they've always come through for me. And I'm, I really want you to get on the Harry's train as well. And I'm... and. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades that they're giving away a trial set for free. All you have to do is pay $3 for shipping. Uh, it's a total value of $13 for what you're going to be getting in this trial set. Now, now what are you getting? Well, you're going to get a weighted ergonomic razor handle. You're going to get five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Now, doesn't that sound fancy? Uh, so stop messing around with your cheap garbage razors and get on the Harry's train. You can get started by uh, claiming your free trial offer. That Again, that's a 13 value for free. All you have to do is pay the $3 for shipping. Again, all you have to do is go to harrys.com backslash rock. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock to get your great trial set of razors. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock. All right, here's more talk about the Nationals boxer. Going back to boxer here. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, well, this is important. I mean, again, I, I do think it's worth talking about sort of the, the overall arc of the Nationals career in terms of this record. Because, like, as you said, I mean, I, I do think that this is the most pivotal record that they made. It was a record that came after Alligator, which was the first album they made that really got national attention the national got national attention. Um, and, you know, I, and, and Berniger, you know, I, I read an interview that he did with the AB club in 2007, where he talked about how boxer was the record where they felt maybe the most pressure because, 
they were afraid that if they didn't make a good record, that they would be sort of a one-and-done band, you know, that people would sort of move on from them, even if they loved Alligator. But because they were able to come through with, you know, this, this great record, it kind of made people say, okay, well, they're worth paying attention to now. Like, this could be a band that has legs. You know, they didn't just make one great record, they made two great records, so we can expect more from them going forward. Um, yeah, this is a band I'm going to invest myself in. You know, there's one thing I want to run by you here. You know, I was listening to Boxer, and I, you know, just kind of mulling over that, over in my mind, like, why does this record kind of stand out for me maybe a little bit more than the others? And I think one thing that sets it apart for me is the drum sound on this record, which is sort of a weird thing to, to single out. But with the national, you know, Brian Devendorf, the drummer, to me has always been like the lead instrumentalist in this band because, you know, the two guitar players, the, you know, the Desner brothers, you know, they don't play riffs. They're, they're not traditional guitar players in that way. Their, their guitar parts are about creating atmosphere. And yeah. Matt Berninger's voice is not a dynamic voice. It's a very evocative voice, but it, you know, he doesn't have a range. He's singing in kind of the same very narrow sort of vocal range on every song. So there's an atmospheric quality to his uh, vocals. So it really comes down to the drums to provide this contrast or, or this sense of, of dynamism in, in national songs. And um, this is a great drum record. The drums on Mistaken for Strangers, Squalor Victoria, the, you know, the toms at the end of Slow Show, which I love that part of the song. It, you know, that, that little bit is, of course, taken from the song 29 on the first record. Uh, they revived that at, at the end of Slow Show. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really think that the drums are an important component to what the National does, and I feel like this is my favorite Brian Devendorf record. Uh, what do you think about that? What, have you ever thought about the drums on National Records? Uh, I think... I have thought about them. Uh, I, I think they definitely stand out the most here. Uh, Scholar Victoria is probably the the biggest drum showcase in their their catalog. Um, I think he's definitely underrated as a player uh, in the sense of you don't hear a lot of like when you're listing off the great drummers, um, you, you don't hear about Devendorf. Um, but I, I, so I guess in the sense of like, there are the most moments on Boxer where you're like, wow, that drum part is crazy. Um, or that, that drum part just totally flipped this song on its side. Um, but that's something that is pretty consistent throughout the whole modern era of the national, I think, uh, is the rhythm section kind of providing the oomph that you would, maybe traditionally expect from the guitars. Right. I mean, is there any other examples of that for you that uh, jump out? You know, you say that happens throughout their career. Like, what are some other examples that stand out for you? Oh, I mean, Afraid of Everyone on High Violet is, is one where it's, I mean, it's just a steady beat the whole time, but uh, it's like, you know, the the whole song kind of sweeps you away uh, because of, you know, the, the, the drum action that's happening there. Um, cause that could have just as easily been kind of a national ballad without 
you know, if they had decided not to make it this up-tempo thing, um, you know, I can envision the uh, kind of deep-cut version of that song. Um, and as long as we're talking about High Violet, I mean, Blood Buzz Ohio is another great example of it, where it's like the song kicks off with the drums. I guess I even might have to question whether my, my previous statement about Squalor Victoria being the number one drum moment because uh, it's just such a pivotal part of what makes Blood Buzz Ohio work the way it does. See, I love the drums on Squalor Victoria, but I think Mistaken for Strangers is like such a great, you know, that I, I love the drums on that too, you know. And uh, I mean, even songs like toward uh, the end of the record, like Guest Room, you know, I love his playing on that song as well. Um, you know, you mentioned Fake Empire before, and that is one of the album's signature songs, and we've talked about a couple of the other songs uh, that are, you know, sort of the big kind of breakout songs that The National still plays all the time, Fake Empire, Mistaken for Strangers, Squalor Victoria, um, even like Slow Show is, is, is a pretty big concert staple, Apartment Story being another one. Mm-hmm. Um what are the songs that stand out for you for this record? Are there any like little gems on this album that you feel like are maybe underappreciated that uh, you've always held dear? Well, I don't know if apartment story really qualifies as underappreciated, but that one definitely means a lot to me. Um, it just the way that it's almost like a song in two halves. Um, and, uh, everything that happens in the second half as it, kind of takes off, achieves liftoff. Um, it's just, uh, I, I don't even know necessarily what to say about it besides the fact that like it's pretty telling about the National that they're able to spin this this song about being just locked up in your apartment in front of the TV into some sort of anthem. Uh, that That one just to me was also an example of how it's not huge in the sense of like, you know, blaring distortion or, uh, you know, thunderous drum fills or anything. It just kind of has this slow, steady build to it. Um, and yet it gets somewhere. Um, I guess that's pretty indicative of the, the subtleties of the nationals approach. Um, I always liked brainy too. Um, the way that, it's another one of those songs where the the rhythm section just kind of carries you along and uh, the arrangements that we were talking about earlier um, kind of seg in and out of the sound. And, and I guess I, I hear all the different strengths that the Nationals, various parts bring to the table a lot on a song like Brainy. Right. Totally. I always love that song. That's one of my favorites. I mean, just the beginning, just like the first four songs on the record are such a great kind of forward velocity type feeling it really zooms you into the record and then once you get towards the middle you have like green gloves and slow show it becomes kind of dreamier and 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 sadder and more beautiful and then you have apartment story kind of picks up and then you get to like the last third of the record and i have to say that like for when i was in my alligator phase and you know as far as like that being my favorite national record and still a record I love, but you know when when Boxer wasn't as high up on my list, I always felt like the record fell off at the end a little bit. Like I ne- I always kind of stopped listening 
at around Apartment Story or so, which I think is like the seventh or eighth track. Yeah, seven. Uh, and um, in recent years, I've been listening actually to the back half a lot more in a way because it was fresher for me, I, you know, because I, I didn't listen to that side as much. But, you know, Guest Room, Gospel, um, Erasing Like a Pro, like a lot, like those songs mean a lot more to me now than they did then. I, In a way, it's kind of weird because uh, like those songs, like, like Racing Like a Pro, for instance, is so, that song, I, I, I imagine someone who hates The National listening to a song like Racing Like a Pro and just being super bored by it and feeling like this song doesn't do anything. Um, but it is one of those songs, and you know, and, and this is such a cliche when we talk about The National that you have to listen to it 20 times or something in order to have it really register. But I mean, to me, that's a really good example of a song like that where, uh, I mean, now I hear it and I just feel so much uh, like pathos in Berninger's vocals. And I mean, it feels like a song uh, kind of akin to like Pink Rabbits or something. Like you almost can imagine like Frank Sinatra singing this song. It's like a late night at a bar that bow ties undone. It's a guy kind of singing to himself, you know, about something heavy going on in his life. It has like a crooner's quality to it in a way. Um, I don't know. What about you? I mean, do you like the back, the back half of the record? I mean, for yeah, me, that I do. Was a- and it's funny, the, the songs you listed off, well, Start of War and Ada are probably my favorites from the back half of the record. If we're counting Apartment Story, it's kind of like an honorary first half song. Um, and it's funny, you listed off the other ones that aren't my favorites, and that maybe that goes to show the, the overall quality that different songs are, are jumping out to different people. Um, I think, like, so Start of War is, for me, an example of how much they can do when it's, a, it's kind of a quieter, less overtly dynamic national song, uh, how much they can still achieve within that template, like, how, how, how much... You know, it's not overtly dynamic, but there's like the, all these dynamic subtleties that are happening, and uh, you you kind of are able to supply your own uh, context for for what he's singing about there. With you know, you're, you're going to start a war. Uh, I mean, obviously, like this is Bush era, um, and so he's. There's probably some kind of loaded political meaning to it, but it right. seems very personal at the same time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you kind of hit on something here that I, is always like I think an eternal question among national fans, which is and, well, maybe it's not for some fans, but like for me, it's always like, like is Matt Berninger a good lyricist? Because <laughs> I think he's a great frontman, and I love his voice, you know, and I love how his lyrics sound in the context of national songs. But like, if you like try to quote his lyrics, it can be <laughs> difficult. Like they, 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 and you know, I, I mean, this is, I mean, we, this is sort of like a bigger question about rock lyrics in general, whether they should be even taken out of the context of the song. But, uh, you know, it always seems like, wow, this thing I thought was profound when I was listening to this record. Now I'm looking at the lyric sheet and like, this doesn't make any sense, you know. Like, what? Are, what are these lyrics? Uh, like, even like, uh, like "Fake Empire." The first time I heard that song, and you know, there's that uh, that line about you know, put a little something in in our lemonade and take it with us. 
just that one line was so evocative to me. Like that line always stuck in my head as like a great line. But then you look at the rest of that song and it's like, okay, I kind of know what he's talking about here, but I mean, are these lyrics good or not? I don't know. Like, what are your feelings on that? You know, I, even just today I was reading some of the lyrics from that song and was like, oh yeah, I guess it does say that. That's kind of weird. Like, uh, talking about, uh, like walking the streets with our glass slippers on and, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The glass slippers I, I, thing. I think it, I think it is, he is a great lyricist because it's not about what you read on the lyric sheet. It's about the way that it works within the nationals music. And it like absolutely achieves the effect that they're going for of this kind of like poetic sadness and uplift. Right. Um, and I mean, I guess you could say that like there's that Will Ferrell movie quote that they sample and watch the throne <laughs> where he's like, you know, who, who cares what it means? It's evocative. It gets the people going. And I, I don't think it's quite like that. Um, but you know, I think that it's open-ended enough that you can read what you want into it. Um, sometimes it might seem forced on the page, but it very rarely seems forced coming out of his mouth. That, that I guess speaks to his ability as, as a singer and as a front man. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a great writer for his own voice. Like he sings, he writes lyrics that sound good when he's singing them. I'm not sure if I need to hear other people covering national songs. Like I, I wonder if it would not come off as well if someone else was singing it, but somehow when he's saying these things, like he knows that like, and I think, you know, I mean, national lyrics I think are funnier and I think they're intentionally goofy sometimes. Like they're, they're, they're goofier on purpose than they get credit for, I think. And I, I think, I think that's true. I think Berninger is self-aware in that regard, but I think he also knows that in, because of the way his voice sounds and, because of the way that the Desners are going to be constructing the songs and sort of the alchemy that happens there, that if he says certain phrases in that voice, they're going to sound evocative. You know, it's going to sound like someone doing a voiceover in a film noir movie, you know, because it's, because it's Matt Berninger's voice. But if it was like someone else singing it, you know, it, it might just sound silly. <laughs> so that's always been my feeling about him uh, with that. But I, uh, yeah, I, but I, I think but, he, but, I think he, but he's great. I think at what he does, like I, I love what he brings to the band for sure. And your your point about not wanting to hear someone else cover the national, I, I think that even extends to the the rest of the ingredients of the songs too. I mean, everything, every band member is bringing something so distinct, and, and the whole sound is so distinct. Like, I mean, I, I think after we hang up, I'm going to have to go look up see if there's any notable covers of the national and see how they hold up. But it just seems like everything is, it's great in a way that doesn't hold up to the whole like adage about, you know, the, the greatest songs you can just play on acoustic guitar. It's more like a work of art where, where every little detail matters. Right. Right. And, and I think with national records, the key is always to find a way to kind of paint those pictures without it seem, seeming labored. And I think at times, you know, because they are a very thoughtful band and they put a lot of work and deliberation 
into what their records sound like. They're they're not just a plug in and play the songs type band. Um, even though I think that in a way they might be better served with that sometimes because they are such a great live band. Um, but you know, for better or worse, they're a very thoughtful sort of uh, deliberative type band and when they can create those those vistas without it seeming you know like like they're overcooking it you know that's always the sweet spot for them i think for sure all right man well hey thank you so much for coming on man i really appreciate you uh coming on here and to talk about boxer with me yeah i, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh it, you know it's a great record deserves to be celebrated so thanks for having me all right man well take care you too all right that was me and chris Chris DeVille from Stereo Gum talking about the 10th anniversary of Boxer. We talked a lot about the Nationals' career. It talked about, you know, what your favorite national records are. And I'm sure that there were people listening who, were, who are national fans who are, like, trying to reach through the radio and, and like, shake me and Chris <laughs> like out of our stupor. You know, trying to, like, convince us that we're wrong about, like, whatever it is that we were saying. And... Uh, if you do have feedback, you know, please reach out to me. Uh, you can reach me at uh, Pod on Twitter. That's my username there. And let me know what you think about the podcast. It's always great to hear from listeners. Um, it's always great, too, when people talk about the podcast and social media. I mean, that is a great way for us to grow our audience. We've been really uh, growing a lot lately. Uh, we've had a great response to some of our recent episodes. You know, we had an interview with Father John Misty a couple weeks ago. Um, our Black Crows episode last week was a big hit. Um, and it's because listeners talk about the shows and it gets other people interested. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, also, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors this, this week. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com. Um, to take advantage of uh, posting free jobs on that site, all you need to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash celebration uh, to get your free postings on that site. And then, of course, our friends at Harry's, uh, you can get that great starter set uh, for free. All you have to do is do the $3 for shipping. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock, harrys.com backslash rock. And when you patronize our sponsors, I can't stress this enough, if you patronize our sponsors, you are helping the podcast because, you know, they know that you're going to these sites you know the, the backslash rock sites you know they know that they're going because you listen to us so um if you want to help us out get some razors hire some people on ZipRecruiter.com. that's always a big help for us um and uh we would really appreciate that guys thanks again for listening to celebration rock uh had a blast this week uh and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week